Chapter Fifteen of *The House of the Arrow* by A. E. W. Mason. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fifteen: The Finding of the Arrow. Anne's rooms were upon the second floor, with the windows upon the garden, a bedroom and a sitting room communicating directly with one another. They were low in the roof, but spacious. And Hanaud, as he looked around the bedroom, said in a tone of doubt yes after all if one were frightened suddenly out of one's wits one might stumble upon this room in the dark and lose one's way to the light switch there isn't one over the bed then he shrugged his shoulders but to be sure one would be careful that one's details would be verified so and the doubt passed out of his voice the words were all greek to the commissaire of police and his secretary and monsieur bex maurice thebenet indeed looked sharply at hanaud as if he was on the point of asking one of those questions which he had been invited to ask but girardot the commissaire who was panting heavily with his ascent of two flights of stairs spoke first we shall find nothing of interest here he said that pretty girl would never have asked us to pry about amongst her dainty belongings if there had been anything to discover well one never knows said hanaud let us see jim walked away into the sitting-room he had no wish to follow step by step hanaud and the commissaire in their search and he had noticed on the table in the middle of the room a blotting-pad and some note-paper and the materials for writing he wanted to get all this whirl of conjecture and fact and lies in which during the last two days he had lived sorted and separated and set in order in his mind and he knew no better way of doing so than by putting it all down shortly in the for and against style of robinson crusoe on his desert island he would have a quiet hour or so whilst hanaud indefatigably searched he took a sheet of paper selected a pen at random from the tray and began it cost an upcot however a good many sheets of note-paper and more than once the nib dropped out of his pen-holder and was forced back into it before he had finished but he had his problem reduced at last to these terms four one although suspicion that murder had been committed arose in the first instance only from the return to his shelf of the treatise on stophanatus hispidus subsequent developments e g the disappearance of the poison arrow the introduction into the case of the ill-famed jean cladel anapcot's story of her visit to the treasure-room and now the mystery of mrs harlow's pearl necklace make out a prima facie case for inquiry against but in the absence of any trace of poison in the dead woman's body it is difficult to see how the criminal can be brought to justice except by a a confession b the commission of another crime of a similar kind hanaud's theory once a poisoner always a poisoner four two if murder was committed it is probable that it was committed at half-past ten at night when anne upcott in the treasure-room heard the sound of a struggle and the whisper that will do now against anne upcott's story may be partly or wholly false she knew that mrs harlow's bedroom was to be opened and examined if she also knew that the pearl necklace had disappeared she must have realized that it would be advisable for her to tell some story before its disappearance was discovered which would divert suspicion from her four three 
it is clear that whoever committed the murder if murder was committed betty harlow had nothing to do with it she had an ample allowance she was at monsieur de pouillac's ball on the night moreover once mrs harlow was dead the necklace became betty harlow's property had she committed the murder the necklace would not have disappeared against it is possible that the disappearance of the necklace is in no way connected with the murder if murder there was four four who then are possibly guilty one the servants against all of them have many years of service to their credit it is not possible that any of them would have understood enough of the treatise on stophanathus cespedus to make use of it if any of them were concerned it can only be as an accessory or assistant working under the direction of another four two jean Baudelin, the nurse more attention might be given to her it is too easily accepted that she has nothing to do with it against no one suspects her her record is good four three francine riard she was certainly frightened this afternoon the necklace would be a temptation was it she who bent over anne upcott in the darkness against she was frightened of the police as a class rather than of being accused of a crime she acted her part in the reconstruction scene without breaking down if she were concerned it could only be for the reason given above as an assistant four four and upcott her introduction into the maison grenelle took place through Waberski and under dubious circumstances she is poor a paid companion and the necklace is worth a considerable fortune she was in the house on the night of mrs harlow's death she told gaston he could turn out the lights and go to bed early that evening she could easily have admitted Waberski and received the necklace as the price of her complicity the story she told us in the garden may have been the true story of what occurred adapted it may have been she who whispered that will do now she may have whispered it to Waberski. her connection with Waberski was sufficiently close to make him count upon anne's support in his charge against betty against her introductions may be explicable on favourable grounds until we know more of her history it is impossible to judge her account of the night of the twenty seventh april may be true from beginning to end in that case the theory of a murder is enormously strengthened but who whispered that will do now and who was bending over anne upcott when she waked up four five Wabeski. he is a scoundrel a would-be blackmailer he was in straits for money and he expected a thumping legacy from mrs harlow he may have brought anne upcott into the house with the thought of murder in his mind having failed to obtain any profit from his crime he accuses betty of the same crime as a blackmailing proposition as soon as he knew that mrs harlow had been exhumed and an autopsy made he collapsed he knew if he had used himself the poison arrow that no trace of poison would be found he knew of jean claudel and according to his own story was in the rue gambetta close to jean claudel's shop it is possible that he himself had been visiting claudel to pay for the solution of strophanthus against but he would have collapsed equally if he had believed that no murder had been committed at all if murder was committed the two people most obviously suspect are anne upcott and Wabirsky working in collusion 
to this conclusion jim frobisher was reluctantly brought but even whilst writing it down there were certain questions racing through his mind to which he could find no answer he was well aware that he was an utter novice in such matters as the investigation of crimes and he recognized that were the answers to these questions known to him some other direction might be given to his thoughts accordingly he wrote those troublesome questions beneath his memorandum thus but one why does hanaud attach no importance to the return of the treatise on stophanthus hispidus to its place in the library two what was it which so startled him upon the top of the terrace tower three what was it that he had in his mind to say to me at the cafe in the place d'armes and in the end did not say four why did hanaud search every corner of the treasure room for the missing poison arrow except the interior of the sedan chair the noise of a door gently closing aroused him from his speculations he looked across the room hanaud had just entered it from the bedroom shutting the communicating door behind him he stood with his hand upon the doorknob gazing at frobisher with a curious startled stare he moved swiftly to the end of the table at which jim was sitting how you help me he said in a low voice and smiling how you do help me alert though jim's ears were to a note of ridicule he could discover not a hint of it hanaud was speaking with the utmost sincerity his eyes very bright and his heavy face quite changed by that uncannily sharp expression which jim had learnt to associate with some new find in the development of the case may i see what you have written hanaud asked it could be of no value to you jim replied modestly but hanaud would have none of it it is always of value to know what the other man thinks and even more what the other man sees what did i say to you in paris the last thing one sees oneself is the thing exactly under one's nose and he began to laugh lightly but continuously and with a great deal of enjoyment which jim did not understand he gave in however over his memorandum and pushed it along to hanaud ashamed of it as something schoolboyish but hopeful that some of these written questions might be answered hanaud sat down at the end of the table close to jim and read the items and the questions very slowly with an occasional grunt and a still more occasional aha but with a quite unchanging face jim was in two minds whether to snatch it from his hands and tear it up or dwell upon its recollected phrases with a good deal of pride one thing was clear hanaud took it seriously he sat musing over it for a moment or two yes here are questions and dilemmas he looked at frobisher with friendliness i shall make you an allegory i have a friend who is a matador in spain he told me about the bull and how foolish those people are who think the bull not clever yes but do not jump and look the offence with your eyes and tell me how very vulgar i am and how execrable my taste all that i know very well but listen to my friend the matador he says all that the bull wants to kill without fail all the bullfighters in spain is a little experience and very little he learns so quick look between the entrance of the bull into the arena and his death there are reckoned twenty minutes and there should not be more if the matador is wise 
the bull he learned so quick the warfare of the ring well i am an old bull who has fought in the arena many times this is your first corrida but only ten minutes of the twenty have passed already you have learned much yes here are some shrewd questions which i had not expected you to ask when the twenty are gone you will answer them all for yourself meanwhile he took up another pen and made a tiny addition to item one i carry this one step farther see he replaced the memorandum under jim's eyes jim read subsequent developments e g the disappearance of the poison arrow the introduction into the case of the ill-famed jean claudel anne upcott's story of her visit to the treasure room and now the mystery of mrs harlow's pearl necklace and the finding of the arrow make out a prima facie case for inquiry jim sprang to his feet in excitement you have found the arrow then he cried glancing towards the door of anne upcott's bedroom not i my friend replied hanaud with a grin the commissaire then no not the commissaire his secretary then jim sat down in his chair i am sorry he wears cheap rings i don't like him hanaud broke into a laugh of delight console yourself i too don't like that young gentleman of whom they are all so proud maurice divinet has found nothing jem looked at hanaud in a perplexity here's a riddle he said hanaud rubbed his hands together prove to me that you have been ten minutes in the bull-ring he said i think that i have only been five jem replied with a smile let me see the arrow had not been discovered when we first entered these rooms no and it is discovered now yes and it was not discovered by you no nor the commissaire no nor maurice devenet no jim stared and shook his head i have not been one minute in the bull-ring i don't understand hanaud's face was all alight with enjoyment then i take your memorandum and i write again he hid the paper from jim frobisher's eyes with the palm of his left hand whilst he wrote with his right then with a triumphant gesture he laid it again before jim the last question of all had been answered in hanaud's neat small handwriting jim read four why did hanaud search every corner of the treasure room for the missing poison arrow except the interior of the sedan chair underneath the question hanaud had written as if it was jim frobisher himself who answered the question it was wrong of hanaud to forget to examine the sedan chair but fortunately no harm has resulted from that lamentable omission for life the incorrigible dramatist had arranged that the head of the arrow shaft should be the penholder with which i have written this memorandum jim looked at the penholder and dropped it with a startled cry there it was the slender pencil-like shaft expanding into a slight bulb where the fingers held it and the nib inserted into the tiny cleft made for the stem of the iron dart jim remembered that the nib had once or twice become loose and spluttered on the page until he had jammed it in violently then came a terrible thought his jaw dropped and he stared at a no in awe i wonder if i sucked the end of it whilst i was thinking out my sentences he stammered oh lord cried hanaud and he snatched up the penholder and rubbed it hard with his pocket handkerchief 
then he spread out the handkerchief upon the table and fetching a small magnifying glass from his pocket examined it minutely he looked up with relief there is not the least little trace of that reddish-brown clay which made the poison paste the arrow was scraped clean before it was put on that tray of pens i am enchanted i cannot now afford to lose my junior colleague frobisher drew a long breath and lit a cigarette and gave another proof that he was a very novice of a bull what a mad thing to put the head of that arrow shaft which a glance at the plates in the treatises would enable a child to identify into an open tray of pens without the slightest concealment he exclaimed it looked as if ann upcott was wilfully pushing her neck into the wooden ring of the guillotine hanaud shook his head not so mad my friend the old rules are the best hide a thing in some out-of-the-way corner and it will surely be found put it to lie carelessly under everyone's nose and no one will see it at all no no this was cleverly done who could have foreseen that instead of looking on at our search you were going to plump yourself down in a chair and write your memorandum so valuable on mademoiselle anne's notepaper and even then you did not notice your pen why should you jim however was not satisfied it is a fortnight since mrs harlow was murdered if she was murdered he cried what i don't understand is why the arrow wasn't destroyed altogether but until this morning there was never any question of the arrow hanaud returned it was a curiosity an item in a collection why should one trouble to destroy it but this morning the arrow becomes a dangerous thing to possess so it must be hidden away in a hurry for there is not much time an hour whilst you and i admired mont blanc from the top of the terrace tower and while betty was out of the house jim added quickly yes that is true said hanaud i had not thought of it you can add that point monsieur frobisher to the reasons which put mademoiselle harlow out of our consideration yes he sat lost in thought for a little while and speaking now and then a phrase rather to himself than to his companion to run up there to cut the arrow down to round off the end as well as one can in a hurry to stain it with some varnish to mix it with the other pens in the tray not so bad he nodded his head in appreciation of the trick but nevertheless things began to look black for the exquisite mademoiselle anne with her delicate colour and her pretty ways a noise of the shifting of furniture in the bedroom next door attracted his attention he removed the nib from the arrowhead we will keep this little matter to ourselves just for the moment he said quickly and he wrapped the improvised penholder in a sheet of the notepaper just you and i shall know of it no one else this is my case not giroudeau's we will not inflict a great deal of pain and trouble until we are sure i agree said jim eagerly that's right i am sure hanaud tucked the arrowhead carefully away in his pocket this too he said and he took up jim frobisher's memorandum it is not a good thing to carry about and perhaps lose i will put it away at the prefecture with the other little things i have collected he put the memorandum into his letter-case and got up from his chair the rest of the arrow shaft will be somewhere in this room no doubt and quite easy to see but we shall not have time to look for it and after all we have the important part of it 
he turned towards the mantel-shelf where some cards of invitation were stuck in the frame of the mirror just as the door was opened and the commissaire with his secretary came out from the bedroom the necklace is not in that room said Monsieur girardot in a voice of finality nor is it here hanaud replied with an unblushing assurance let us go downstairs jim was utterly staggered this room had not been searched for the necklace at all first the sedan chair then this sitting-room was neglected hanaud actually led the way out of the stairs without so much as a glance behind him no wonder that in paris he had styled himself and his brethren the servants of chance End of chapter fifteen